All right. So first, let me welcome everybody to Knox Unplugged. Knox Unplugged if, uh, is a podcast that goes on. Well, you do it once a week. We've been doing it for a little over a year now. Jason, is that about right? A little over a year. A little over a year. Yeah. And um, so you can find it on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. That's actually it's called Pub now, Pub TV. Um, you can find it on your app store. Download it. it. We just updated everything inside the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. It is a whole new app, a whole new feel. New shows coming out. We are doing TV shows now. Gabe has a show called This America. If you go to the app now, you can download the um, app and watch the trailer and so Knox Unplugged, you can find it there as where all our shows are on your podcast stream as well. But go to the app, download the app so we can have direct connection. So, um, hey, what's up? Chris Brown's here. What's up, Chris? Michael Sellers is here. And Caleb, what's up, man? Um, everybody hit the share button. I can't tell you. So I, I just want to say this real quick. The share button is probably, man, the most powerful button on the Internet. I don't the share and the like button. Comments are huge, too. But when you are sharing content, when you are pushing content, it's amazing. I watch these guys who cut yards. Um, have you seen these these guys, Jason? Well, they, no. they'll, they'll cut yards and they'll film. They'll go out once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like an old yard that, that hasn't been taken care of in a long time. Exactly. And they'll go out there to this yard and they'll cut it and they'll film it and they'll put it on their social media. And then they'll just like a short. But then people love to see these, and so they like them, and they're sharing. They'll have like three, four million views on them. These guys make money, almost as much money from cutting yards as they do from just filming. Yeah. And and it's just because people are watching and hitting the share button. Because well, it's super satisfying to watch the the some something get gardened. Well, I think that's part of it. I have another theory. I think that people are lazy and don't want to do work, but yet want the rea- reality of the finished completion of work. And so they like seeing other people do it. And then they're like, oh, this is great. Like we should, we should, you know, we should do that. Nah, let's just keep supporting this guy, which is fine. But it allows this guy to go out and to cut more yards for free because he's given a form of an entertainment engagement. And it's a different kind of economy than we've ever had before where, well, should I say it's the most unique way to have this kind of economy. We have it like in commercials and TV shows, but um to, for a guy to just film himself out there cutting a the yard, doing his normal work, and we are so entertained by watching uh, hedges being trimmed and grass being lined that we were willing to to share it and like it. And to, you have to see this. Um, and so it's just people don't understand how important it is to share things. And hitting the share button, promoting something out there that's really good is a blessing to your brothers and sisters. And, and if you can't join the club, if you can't become a member, if you can't give $10 a month to this, that's okay. Hit the share button, comment on something, like it, engage it. That engagement actually means something too. And so um, there's just a whole lot of ways than we've ever had before to promote something that we really like. Yes, Caleb, capitalism is amazing. All right, Laura's here. What's up, Laura TV? Um, so Jason, usually we... Um, Cross, uh, when we do when we do knocks unplug, we don't usually have an intro and open. So Lauren Hill is a blessing for us this morning. Right. We usually just kind of jump into the conversation. So I want to do that because I've been really excited to have this conversation. We've been going through uh, Spitzer's Images of Life with C.S. Lewis. Um, yep. And because you think you believe that Edmund Spencer is the key to unlocking our ignorance and giving us the way forward. Just kind of give a short, brief summary of why you think Edmund Spencer is so important. 
Well, because it's it's the last really great work in English that's that retains a uh, poetic cohesiveness, which what it means is that it they still believed that the world was com- was all connected, made sense, mankind had a place for it, you could know your place in the world, and that by embracing your place that in the world in creation uh un- under the Lord Jesus Christ, you could actually find uh, a full fulfilling life um by by submitting to the the uh, world as you found it um and the there's a completely different and new way of understanding the world now and the and it's the reason that people feel disconnected that um the there's a french term called ennui that means the feeling that you don't have a place in the world um sometimes it's called existential boredom um and so the the uh, that is the norm now because we don't believe the world actually holds together and makes sense and uh, and so because of that, uh, I think it makes sense to go back to the last time that you had somebody writing as if the world did make full and complete cohesive sense and it's this long poem about uh, about uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table um, where there's a world filled with. Uh, honor, joy, beauty, the protection of women, uh, and the uh, the fighting and killing of monsters, uh, and pageantry, and uh, the the joy of a good uh, you know, the joy of a good parade. Um, you know all, all of those things that we can't do anymore. Or we don't really know what to do with anymore. I think if we can imaginatively learn how to re-enter into uh, the poetry of somebody like an Edmund Spencer and learn what it looks like, uh, feels like, uh, gut, gut level feeling of a world that makes sense, a world that's on purpose, a world that has uh, an, es- an eschatos, an end, um, then and is going someplace, and that we have a spot in the world. Um, if we can do that, then uh, the other parts of our life start to fall into place. And mm. So, like, for example, we spent the last couple of times a couple of uh episodes talking about where does sexuality fit into the world um in an older view right before you know for us sexuality tends to be either the way that we find um find meaning um like by having enough orgasms uh or it is the uh the thing that we that makes us feel the most dislodged from reality. Um, so we spent a couple of weeks talking about the, the older view of sexuality, where it's not about power, but it's about learning. It's about embracing covenantally the, your place in creation and helping uh, be getting to be a part of the overcoming of death through having children. Um, so it, I think that was uh yeah, the that was a fun one. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah, that was we had to be careful around that one. Uh, just real quick, is your is your mic set on your earbuds or are they set on your uh, microphone? Just tap your mic. Oh, I don't know. Just, yeah, I'm not hearing that. Uh, let me fix it. All right. While you're doing that, so um, tell everybody inside of the spaces, guys. We're gonna get to. If you have a question, go ahead and throw your hand up in there in space, and I'll be able to bring you in. Um, I don't even know how to do that on here yet. I'm going to figure it out, though. We're going to figure it out. 
Um, and I put shared a link on Twitter and on YouTube if you want to come in later and have a conversation with us and talk about what we're going to talk about. But I want to get to is your mic fixed? Did you get? I think that? so. Is that better? Oh, there we go. Now, yeah, there we go. Um, so in the middle of this conversation that we've been having, and our conversations on Knox Unplugged usually go forever because um, I'm really ignorant and need a lot of teaching. And so we usually do about two hours. I don't care about anybody else's time. For the most part, I'm more concerned about me. It's all about me. Um, but what, in the middle of this, I got a text from you after a show and you said, I don't think people understand what all comes with paganism. And we just, and it's slightly, it was like, oh, this is interesting because I, you know, I send you text messages about things that I see going on on Twitter. I see like the mobs that are happening out in in New York, when a guy decides to give away some stuff and the people just go absolutely bonkers and destroy the city. And then we see the Black Lives Matter riots. And then we see just all the all the violence, kids beating up old men. We see all this stuff and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on and what's happening. And then you said it's actually the return of paganism and people don't know what to expect from paganism. What is it that has caught your eye to say, oh, this is paganism? And then let's talk about how we're defining what paganism is. Yeah, so the 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 first thing that actually um, tipped me off to it was a uh, it was an essay from the forties about um, uh, about uh, the cru- uh, oh the about the world wars comparing the world wars to the crusades mm. and right in the right in the middle of it he talked about how um, that that in ancient paganism they the the identity was um derived through tribalism which was based on you know what you were not um and so you you tattooed your identity onto yourself um and then being a part of the tribe was what gave you your fundamental identity and so he was talking about how uh how christendom originally was the thing that um it it reset the tribes away from their identity and gave them a broader bigger identity so that they could remain in their tribe um they didn't have the the tribes weren't dissolved by christendom um but the paganism that made that that required rivalry between tribes um and the the uh, paganism that required blood to find peace was the was uh uh undone by christendom by the advancement of the gospel and um and ever since then you start to say oh my gosh so tribalism the need for blood and rivalry um are gonna are central things to start looking for in order to understand uh understand the uh, how a cosmology like paganism is presenting itself where it's identifiable right so um uh, so if you can if violence against somebody doesn't count then you're dealing with paganism right so because one tribe um is if your tribe are the only ones that are human the only ones that you that violence against has to be justified Hmm. if violence against somebody else doesn't have to be justified because they're not really human then you're dealing with some sort of paganism because paganism divided the divided humanity up into smaller groups. And your group was the human group. 
that had to be treated according to human rules. And then the other groups could be treated according to whatever rules they were. You know, if you were a part of the wolf tribe, then the bear tribe didn't need to be treated as uh, fully. They, they weren't considered fully human in your cosmology. So they could be attacked because they were rivals. They were a threat. There was a limited amount of resources. And if they had it, then you didn't. You know, those sorts of things were all a part of the pagan cosmology. Um, and so we so um, that got me reading in reading up on what real paganism was like back in the day versus what you see at like the Wiccan bookstore, um, you know, magic crystals, healing crystals and, you know, uh, all of that stuff is um, I mean, the the magical control of reality is part of paganism, but underneath it is the cosmology that the world doesn't have um, a positive nature. The world isn't, isn't in its particular, it's not this way because God wants it this way. It's this way because somebody with enough power took the chaos and formed it. <laughs> and that, what we have to do is figure out how to get enough power to form a new reality. Yeah, to hold the chaos back and to form oh. reality into what you want it to be. So the chaos will come in, um, and then somebody has to gather enough power to hold the chaos back. Right. So there's fundamental chaos. There's no nature to reality. Things are held in this shape by force, by some sort of coercive power. The shape that we find things in is uh, only here because of power, because of force. There's not an internal positive nature that things have that that cause things to be in the shape that they're in. Right. So if you um, so and, and this is why, uh, you know, when you look at something like Darwinism, that's not new. Darwinism isn't a new idea. You actually run into things that sound exactly like Darwinism in old pagan writings, in magic textbooks, in, um, in, uh, or, uh, not, they wouldn't be called tech textbooks, books of magic in the ancient world, um, as well as philosophers talking about the forming of, of things and the, the evolution of things, right? The, uh, Darwinism just says the reason that things are in this shape is because, the power of physics forced them into this shape. The, the biological, uh, the power of the physics and biology interacting forced things into this particular shape. So the, the um, it's, it's survival of the fittest, right? So all of the death that gets us into this shape no longer matters, right? because death is inevitable death is the norm death is expected death is isn't um an alien invader into reality it's necessity to create yeah, yeah, norm. yeah exactly death is the creative force um and uh the that time and chance together with the power of physics um the power of an environment shaping somebody something into its shape uh, that is the force that got a deer into the shape that it's in. You know, if you, um, if you read biology textbooks, it's you, you can read about how the, uh, the deer is the uh, ancestor of the hippo, for example, right? That the hippo um, took on its shape because of its environment. The forces that, of the environment changed 
a deer into a hippo over time through the mechanism of of uh survival of the fittest uh at the dna level right and you read that and we we nod along because we think that totally makes sense in a world like this right but (laughs) but it's actually complete nonsense right um to to uh, it's it, there's not actually scientific evidence. It's the cosmological underpinnings that make that seem rational and reasonable. The cosmological underpinnings that one thing can become another if enough force is applied. That reality um, is held in this shape by force. You know that the chaos is held in this shape by force. That's a pagan assumption, um, and it's it is. Uh, everywhere cosmologically and that's why you end up having to need tribes um blood sacrifices child sacrifice all the different things that that rush back in when paganism uh moves to the forefront so then ultimately in in a sentence paganism is what um paganism is the belief that the world creates itself i think that would be the Mm. fundamental that that that's the fundamental difference what happens what happens all what is it how does it play out um how does it play out in culture especially in a nation that's that hasn't uh, maybe it has uh, but i was going to say especially in a nation that hasn't had paganistic roots that's been predominantly christian yeah yeah we the 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 paganism that came back in the assumptions of paganism uh, they start coming back in with the Enlightenment in the English-speaking culture. With the Enlightenment in the, you know, Italian and and um, in the the Mediterranean languages language groups in uh, Europe, you start. It starts in the Renaissance, um, but it doesn't really show up in English-speaking culture until you get to the. Uh, enlightenment so on the continent it it's you know northern europe it starts earlier than in england and it's just because of the flow of ideas right so machiavelli is really the one who begins bringing a pagan cosmology back during the renaissance in italy and then his ideas spread um throughout europe and then eventually into the english english uh speaking uh, lands the the british empire eventually uh through the enlightenment is what we call it so um we really should call it the endarkenment i think but that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other thing oh, wait um, well, since you're there, i gotta ask did, did the enlightenment bring anything good because i think because i was reading an article on paganism just the other night and the guy was hitting it he was hitting it and nailing it but then he's like these people reject the goodness of the enlightenment and I was like, Arr. was there, what right. was, was there anything? Well, so that's actually the story that we tend to tell. Um, there's a really great, uh, so C.S. Lewis was the, he was the chair of Renaissance and medieval literature. And he tells the story of, he, he says the way that we break up history into you know, the history of ideas um, is actually not right. It's not good. Um, we because we come along and we call something um, the Renaissance or we call it the Enlightenment, um, and and uh, he said usually 
the flow from one to the other is not a clean break. And so you've got something like the enlightenment. Um, well, a lot of the thinkers of the enlightenment at the, um, that brought it back in that brought that were trying to bring in this older to return to this different. They didn't think of it as returning. Some of them did think of it as returning to an ancient cosmology, a more classical cosmology is what they often called it. But um, a lot of them, they, they weren't trying to do anything like that, but uh, they were, um, they were the scientific advancements of the middle ages began to really um, make a huge difference in people's lives towards the high medieval eras. Right. When you, you, you look at some of the, the feats of architecture um, that you, you got in like Gothic architecture and, you know, these cathedrals and these, um, the the buildings that they were building in Rome at the time uh, that these they were feats of science that that hadn't really uh, ever been seen and so they start to say what else can science do and they just elevate the scientific method um, in in the process uh, because of the amazing advancements that are happening um, there's a great quote from uh cotton mather about how um when something is really successful that it often uh destroys its own children mm. the children the just the children destroy the source of the um uh, of the advancement because they get so caught up on the advancement they don't realize where the advancement came from mm-hmm. um, and, and uh the 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 children uh end up eating the mother is how he put it um the uh success uh a uh, success uh, I mean, the, 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 I can't yeah I can't the the daughters of success end up eating the mother something like that um and and uh, that happened with the scientific uh the scientific revolution which really was a result of especially the monastic um schools right the monasteries You've got all these scientific advancements happening all over and it's people get really in, um, infatuated with the scientific method, um, not infatuated, but they realize how useful it is and how right. the, that you can actually um, push a certain kind of knowledge forward. And then they give that knowledge preferential treatment to all other kinds of knowledge. There's all different kinds of knowledge knowledge that can be gained by the scientific method knowledge that can be gained by the historical method knowledge that can be gained by the poetic method. And, you know, there's all different kinds of knowledge and they just said, well, but this knowledge is true knowledge and everything else is false knowledge. And they drew that mostly from Plato um, and a little bit of Aristotle. So um, then they said, here we go. This kind of knowledge, knowledge um, is going to be the most important thing. The problem is that uh, that implicitly had a cosmology um, embedded in it that they didn't realize, right? That um, mm. so that's this new understanding of reality that begins um, in the, the Renaissance in Italy. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff that came out of the Renaissance in Italy, but there was also um, this new cosmology. It it's the metaphysics that makes magic make sense. And so a lot of the early enlightenment guys start getting into alchemy and magic and um, you know, witchcraft and all these different things 
when we talk about the you know the witchcraft of the middle ages what we don't realize is that most of that is actually happening during the enlightenment mm. um the you know you've got this and they they want to they want to claim that there's ancient roots so they try and they tell the story as if i've got this ancient magical book here um but it's actually from the enlightenment you know <laughs> um because they understood that if the world is has no nature it's completely able to be um reshaped if you have enough power then the real question is how do you get the power, get the power. yeah that's right right yeah and so you start getting magic at um this growing magical understanding you get magicians you get witches you get all of this sort of thing well you, you know, also that... start to get the roots of socialism which is just uh, magic well yeah that starts to make sense because that's what witchcraft actually is trying to get the blessings of God apart from the means that God gives you. Right. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's trying to gain control of reality in order to get yourself something that you, you would either usually that you would normally get another way. Right. Like, right. Right. You know, through covenant, through covenant blessings, through, through covenant, covenant blessing. Right? Yeah. Through covenant faithfulness, covenant faithfulness would breed success over time. Okay. There's a guy, Philip Jones in here. I'm going to try and give him a chance to, um, Philip, are you there? You got a question? I'm not seeing Philip talking. You got to unmute your mic, Philip. There we go. I think he's connecting still. I have another question. Um, I want to say this. If you're going to come and ask a question, that keep it short, keep it pithy, because I have a very trigger finger. I will cut you off quickly. <laughs> I will end the conversation very fast. All right, Philip's not connecting, so we're going to move on past Philip. Sorry, Philip. I don't know why you didn't connect. Well, we'll try again. All right, so, um, hey, my guy Forrest Cooper is in here. What's up, Forrest? Um, let's see if Forrest... Oh, I just figured out that I can see the comments now. Yeah, how you can see the comments. There's a whole bunch of comments. Cool. Forrest, are you connecting? There we go. Go ahead and cook for us. I'm not hearing anything from Forrest. Are you hearing anything from Forrest? I'm not hearing anything from Forrest. I wonder if it's a problem on our end. I wonder if the connection uh, that I have. I told you guys it might be a train wreck. <laughs> it might work still, on still trying to figure this out yeah so i know i'm streaming on youtube and twitter and all the other stuff um that that might be on me sorry y'all yeah i see that he's speaking but i'm just not getting any sound back from him on my end all right so jason as as um also, too, guys, I put a link. If you, if you, there's a link that's on my Twitter page that gets you directly into the video chat as well. So if you can't, I'll figure out the speaker thing and what I might have done for the speaker stuff on spaces. I'll figure that out. But if you still want to jump in, go to my Twitter, um, and there is a link in there right below the Twitter feed that gives you right into the chat that we're in. So. Sorry, I'm working on it. My bad, guys. I'll get it fixed. So, Jason, can we talk about then how I, I want to get to how a Christian nation, a Christian group, 
allows paganism because I, I keep feeling like this with all of it. I think um, first of all, I think everybody looks at the system as like, oh, this is critical theory. Oh, this is that, or this is the social justice, or this is wokeness. Um, it seems like that paganism is at the root of all of it, right? Yeah. Well, the same assumptions of paganism are behind all of those things, right? And so, yeah, I, th I think so. Paganism, if we think of paganism as a philosophy, then yes, paganism doesn't usually think of itself as a philosophy. Paganism is a sociology, I guess, it's a, um, in in practice, but. In, if we think of it as a philosophy, the things that under un, the the assumptions that make it seem gut level reactions seem true, then yes, paganism is behind it. So the question is, how does evangelicalism? I guess there's, there's 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 multiple questions. I want to talk about eventually how do Christians share the same sort of cosmological understanding as paganism? Because it seems like that we have paganism even inside of Christianity, right? Yeah, that's why we've got denominations. Oh, wait, what? So denominationalism is paganism. It's, that's, it, I mean, I, I think. Oh, myself, uh, mister. <laughs> and I think that's where it comes from in America. I don't think it's, I don't think that the left or anyone brought it to America. I think um, that the fracturing of the church is mm. what caused uh, the, the, america to revert to some sort of paganism and some some of this i'm getting from christ's high priestly prayer i mean that's kind of the heart of where i think that's the heart of why i think this but um what you uh, because he says you'll see the you'll see when you see the unity of my people then the triune reality will be seen and loved and embraced by mm. the, the people around you the Trinity is the opposite of paganism, the triune nature of God as creator, a, who has a different nature, a, the creator creature divide with the tr Trinity on the other side of the creator creature divide. That's the exact opposite of paganism. And people can't see it because of the denominational divisiveness that the American church has embraced. Now that did come from the modernist movement denominationalism came from the modernist movement. Um, we, so it, it's alongside the growth of paganism, but it was the church's embrace of those assumptions that made denominationalism seem like a good idea that made the rest of the culture eventually follow into the tribalism that we see. Um, and the, the reason that I say that is because um, there is a there's different there is two different ways fundamentally of gathering people into groups one is by covenant mm. the other is by culture mm. right so if you're if you gather into groups because of likenesses rather than because of your relationship to god and the vows that you've made then you are dealing in paganism, right? It's the, it's uh, the, if you say that our identity comes from this group, uh, because I'm a part of this group and we have similar, these similarities, whether it's theological Gnostics, 
Gnostic similarities, whether it's, um, you know, you, you see, you're seeing a growth in, uh, you know, white nationalism, black nationalism, um, Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism <laughs> okay. all the different all right. kinds of, you go. of, uh, of ethnic, uh, ethnic nationalisms, you know, uh, all those different things as a way to say, here's where I get my identity from some sort of thing that you can see and about yourself rather than about your um, objective sacramental relationship with God and the vows that you've made and the faith that you have, because faith is the mark of covenant keeping faith is what covenant keeping looks like the, um you're dealing, you're dealing in something other than the triune creator god's will for your life <laughs> are you just trying to offend everybody right now like are you i think you just uh, if you wanted yes. to get the the charismatic speaking folks on the side of the john MacArthur folks yep. to come together to have a stoning party and agree on right. something you have officially find, done that finally find them all unity you have they all <laughs> <laughs> you have officially killed paganism like right. you you because you... <laughs> paganism requires a scapegoat you know to to keep uh, unity so i'll be that scapegoat okay hold on. Uh, my, my wife was like how does david get you to forget that you're being recorded <laughs> everybody forgets hold on here's here's uh here's my guy what's up man how you doing for us doing well can you hear me now do i, I actually hear, do yeah. i actually have audio you actually have audio now listen i'm gonna be tight with you, you got to jump in and get to it what's up sure okay so let's go straight into the paganism uh in our contemporary culture yeah. How, how long do you think it's going to or not? How long do you think I, we're moving from the as the new atheist movement falls, something has to take its its place. Right. And so we're seeing yeah. the, these sort of return to paganism and in return to paganism in an intellectual way, as opposed to some sort of like rote concept. Right. It's, it's like paganism isn't as simple as like, oh, the gods or, or multiculturalism. It's something more like worship of government now. And so. Mm. Well, that's uh, what power is. Right. It has to be because that's where all the power is. Right. Yeah. Well, it comes back to the fundamental sin that Adam and Eve committed in the in the um, in the in the garden, in the garden, when they said, well, we can create men like us. We can recreate the world in our image. And so, I mean, it's not exact. I'm, I'm paraphrasing pretty aggressively on that one. But there's a certain yeah. element of God's creation that they wanted to harness for themselves in the most. Uh, let's just say masterfully corrupted version of that oftentimes sits at the site, the, the height of power. So then how, how is that not any different than some sort of state sta state sanctioned religion? Cause I, I mean, paganism, I'm not, it seems like we're going, we might be going two different directions in this way. One of them is like diagnosing how it came to pass. And the other question is, what does it mean going forward? But that's what we're about to yeah. get to. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. No, you're absolutely right though. That, that the question that um the question that the satan brings and then the promise that he brings you will be like god is at the heart of paganism right that you can have control mm -hmm. the question though is the is wh who the you is in because there's different versions of that promise in our culture on the one side is the you is you collectively. If we can all, if we can get everybody on the same page and then gather all of that power into one spot in the federal government, then that they will have control over reality. 
And the only reason that they don't have control over reality is because you've got these people over here that refuse to go along. And sure. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fundamental yeah, error, so, the fundamental error in any for, form of communistic government is that it has to be voluntary. And if somebody chooses to opt out of the program, it doesn't just cause that one person to be not a part of the club. It destroys the validity of the entire the, system, the entire system. And, and this 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 is Machiavelli. I mean, this this was literal Machiavelli's teachings or his assumptions in some in uh, in letters that he wrote, because this isn't in the prince, which is where his which is his popular work, but this is in his other works on on uh, metaphysics, that that if you gather all of human power into a single leader, then that leader will have complete control over reality. Sure, which it's easier right. if you if you lower the position of godhood to that of government, it's easier to imagine oneself in the seat of power than it does to imagine oneself as the all-knowing creator. <laughs> right. Well, and there isn't an on all-knowing creator in this system there's only the gods even are different powers that hold chaos back somehow mm -hmm. um and so uh the but the the question so the question is who the you is you will be like gods so on the one side you've got the collectivist paganism that says you means you as a group when you all gather your power into one place and everybody goes along Right. That's that's the you that will have the power of God. Um, and then you've got the individualist paganism or the tribal paganism on the other side that um, where the you is actually an individual you um, that you can be like gods and have control over reality. Um, and th and that is that always ends up in some sort of tribalism. And in the ancient paganism, the priests of that of those groups were often um you know, the homosexuals or the the hermaphrodites the or the the so there's a priestly class that had that said i have this power over reality whereas i i um, am a man but i'm going to act like a woman or a woman that can that's acting like a man um, I've I have changed my nature, which makes me a priest able to guide you all into the changing of your nature or the control over your nature. So um, we're seeing that. So I think there's both paganisms are on the rise at the same time, because fundamentally they have the same assumptions, um, but just different uh, answers on what to do with in that. Hey, world. You got 30 seconds, buddy. So on your assessment, then when when I brought up the idea that. Um paganism is changing in our current contemporary era are you thinking that it's just a pendulum swinging from the new atheist movement to a different version or is it is it a, actually a new rise in paganism is it just well, changing the, forms or is it a new thing i i think the new atheist movement was actually um still assumed christendom <laughs> so mm. the uh so i think that the uh the that now we're seeing um, so the paganism that was in the background that was, you know, in, in the clubs in the seventies and the eighties uh, in the, you know, that was hiding in the, the dark back corners in bars, you know, in New York in the eighties is now you know, out in the open and, and um, rising up. And one of the things it's putting down is the new atheists, who were attempting to hold the world together in a Christendom like way, but with atheism. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm so, gonna jump. I'm gonna jump off here because you've got plenty of other things to do. But one thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, one word of encouragement that I have for you is that from my little perch in my ivory tower, basically everyone that I know and everywhere that I look, I am seeing men, especially men of valor, sort themselves out between those who pursue God and those who pursue themselves, and it's happening so very obviously and so very clear. So, if mm-hmm. you want, if you want some encouragement. Um, there's that. Is that? Is that? <laughs> is that well, yeah. This uh, yeah. God always has his remnant. I'm not concerned about that for one minute. For this good <laughs> yeah. thing, man. I'll, I'll talk. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, for All sure. Right. Yeah, the, I. But I. I think it's. It is going to be interesting to see because a lot of conservatives are trying to fight the one form of paganism with a new with a different form of paganism you know trying to fight centralization and um uh with tribalization yeah uh you know and uh there's no covenant in sight all right there's two things jonas b i see that you've logged on but your device is not connected or working so try again jonas and i'll bring you in um i'm gonna try on twitter spaces who we have bc let's see if we can Bring him in. Benjamin Bowman. Benjamin, I'm, your mic is muted from my position. Unmute your mic. And I'm still not hearing Benjamin. This Benjamin, this might not be you. This might be me, Benjamin. I'm sorry. Um, if you go to the link like Forrest did, Forrest went to the link on my Twitter, logged in, and I'll bring you into the the, the talking system on this side i'll figure out the the problem there what's up gabe it's good to have gabe up in here my guy um so then can we talk about the um the the what i still want to work through a little bit my head's a little scattered because i'm trying to run the the youtube i'm trying to run the twitter i'm trying to run all the different things um but can we um talk about what comes with paganism in the culture because um, yeah, there's fatherlessness. That's a huge part of it. Um, but I, you know, when you start, when you guys were talking about, I am the maker of my own sexuality and I get to decide. And I, so I become a priest then all of a sudden. And then we're seeing those kind of priests, not just be priests, like maybe in the corner in the back somewhere, there goes Ben, but I'll bring you in just a second. But they're actually getting high levels of political power and offices inside the American government that I would have never seen before. Right? We right. have transgender medical person. Like, what? How does that even work? Well, like we we act like we've done something righteous through putting that putting them in, whereas you've never you you don't really have that you know, where you just, you come along and you're like, Hey, we're going to install this person into this role. And people are either like, Hey, they've got, they're a good person. They're a good fit or they're a bad fit. That's usually the discussion, not, uh, Hey, we're going to have cheering in balloons for the, <laughs> because this person mm-hmm. was installed into this job. Um, we act like there's something more righteous about putting a transgender person into a role. Um, and that's, that's because of or the, or the, the my or a black person. We've all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, we got a black guy. It's like, yeah, but is he good at this job? Like, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm kind of concerned about here. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because like um, when when uh, or a uh, woman, you know, when Clarence when Clarence Thomas was being put into the Supreme Court, my dad sat me down and said, "I want you to see this because it's this is important. This is one of the greatest uh, gr- greatest men that we've ever seen put on the Supreme Court." There wasn't any discussion of it's because he's black or anything. My, my dad was like, this is, this man is one of the greatest public intellectuals um, that, that our country's ever seen. And I want you to watch him be installed. Um, you, this, he, this, but it's because he was going to be so good at his job. Um, and because you don't usually get a great public intellectual put on the Supreme court, you know, like that sort of thing um, was why my dad wanted me to watch it. Um, it's, so those sorts of of questions have shifted and changed are is there is what tribe does this person represent and um it, are they how oppressed are they because Jesus has flipped the world inside out so that a crucifixion that somebody getting some somebody being scapegoated or crucified or yeah, um, uh, it, somebody being cast out of the the norm and being uh, oppressed, that now that turns them into somebody righteous, right? And so we say, well, this person's from an oppressed tribe, therefore they're automatically righteous and can have some sort of um, priestly role. That's because Jesus just changed the world i mean he changed the nature of the world that that's not how you used to to pick people that um, or decide who was righteous you know in a, in an old um you know in in an ancient tribe the the guy that the chief was the guy who beat up all the other guys you know he was the strongest or he was the wisest or there was some reason to make him chief that um that it, it wasn't he he lost um a lot and was very oppressed so then we're gonna make him chief so then is so in one sense let me bring um ben in here real quick but in one sense or another part of part of what was um part of what they're doing is is taking our car and driving it off the cliff they're getting in and driving it off the cliff but yeah. they're, they're still presuming a they're still presuming somewhat of a um our christian worldview what with their paganism well no there isn't another word the other world is gone. So if uh-huh. they don't, if they don't play according to the rules of the current world, then it doesn't get anywhere. Um, and so that they've just realized, Oh, we've got to use a martyr. We need a martyr, right? Cause this is the kind of world that's run by a martyr that's where martyrdom is the way up now. Um, it just wasn't in the, in the ancient world. Um, hold, hold that thought. I want to work through that a little bit. Ben, go ahead. Well, hey guys, uh, good afternoon, happy Friday. I agree with so much of what you guys are saying uh, and, and what you are talking about. It actually reminded me of a, a G.K. Chesterton quote. I'm just going to read for you real quick. It said, neo-pagans have sometimes forgotten when they set out to do everything the old pagans did, that the final thing the old pagans did was to get christened or, uh, or baptized, right? <laughs> so yep. th- that's where all of this is heading. And, and there, this is, to me, this is secularism and godlessness circling the drain. And they all have to be somewhere. They all have to gather somewhere around something because that's the way God made us. So this hatred for God, this hatred for the things 
of God, the character of God. Um, they all have to get together and pretend that they're good people uh, because Demos is their God. The, 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 the public opinion is their God, which is why so many people have a hard time in our culture with feeling judged or judging. It's a very common thing. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to get on here and just share that with you that paganism is not new. Right. To, and, and, and not only is it not new from 2000 plus years ago, a hundred years ago, Chesterton saw it very clearly. He was dealing with anarchists. And that's what I see a lot of these people, you know, not just the nightly news, you know, smashing windows and, uh, you know, taking whatever they want. But we have anarchy because without Christ as the center for our culture, that's the only other option. There is no other option but Christ. It, it is Christ or chaos. And it, and it cannot right itself. It has no ability to save itself because there's no good news. Yes. I mean, if you're just if you're just meant for the grave, and that's why if you want to get really into what pagans, how they think, what godless people think, start investigating Cthulhu, start investigating cosmic horror. It's all the rage in the TTRPG community and video games. And, and, and it's it's the and the multiverse. That's another one. If you want to start getting into the way they think about things is their idea of God is this cosmic horror that's going to destroy them at any moment. And, and yeah. every time I see a coexist sign, I just see the, the evil God Cthulhu. Because <laughs> that's what all of that is in hey. disguise. And it's demonic. But, you know, that's where we're at right now. And, uh, but the good news is, is it, it's not going to last because it, it can't. Yeah, yeah. It can't. It'll come to a head. Hey, Ben, thank you, brother. Yep. Yeah, the the um, yeah Cthulhu is the the attempt to resurrect in the imagination what it's like to live in a world that is fully chaotic and trying to kill you um, all at the same time, right? Which is why you need the control of some sort of either you know a god like Zeus that overthrows. Um, that overthrows the titans and then holds holds them at bay. Right. It's, know, people, uh, it's how people are picking between Trump or or um, DeSantis. Well, that's the question they're asking. Who's going to yeah. be the guy that can hold who back hold, the chaos for, for chaos. a little bit longer? For a little bit yeah. longer. And there's there's really not. You know, one of the things that you talked about as well, Jason. And I see you, Philip. I see you and Max. I'm going to get to you guys in just a second. Um, and I oh just uh, everybody on spaces just so you know I just found out I think Ben told me on space thank you for talking to me on Twitter uh, it's not y'all's fault that you can't talk on Twitter it's my fault okay so, or, I'm sorry X on space um, so I'll fix that next time around so anyway there's a link on my Twitter if you want to jump into the conversation um, but you talked about the violence that comes with paganism yeah it's can a, we talk about that for a second. Right. Well, it's it's there's an unavoidable violence um, for a couple of reasons, because one, you in order to hold a community together um, because of the way people are, um, you have to have a common enemy. Mm. You have the there is an embedded violence Mm. within each person. So it's either going to be directed uh, against 
your closest neighbor or you and your neighbor are going to direct it at a common enemy. Right. And so, so this is um, why in the ancient world, there was always some sort of scapegoating mechanism uh, that was built in so that if the, you started to get a lot of, of uh, um, conflict within a society, then you had to find a common enemy or pick somebody in the, within the tribe to um, pour all of your ire out on and blame. You're the reason the, you're the, you're the reason that this, um, uh, that all of us don't feel settled in, in our identity and in, in our, you know, you're the reason that there's so much conflict. Uh, I remember, you know, my favorite bumper sticker that was all over Santa Cruz County was that I hate it was I hate George Bush and I vote. <laughs> mm. And I was like, the reason that this place holds together is because they all hate George Bush and they blame George Bush together. He's the scapegoat. He's the intellectual scapegoat for why things why I'm so um why why there's so much uh ennui or disruption within my soul. But mm. there the the uh the if if you don't find a place to direct the violence, you'll direct it against your neighbor. And if you're gathered to a, into a group based on a common culture, then your neighbor is supposed to be one of the tribe by one of your people. Um, and so the, uh, you have to have some sort of scapegoating mechanism. I, I mean, I honestly think this is one of the, one of the things going on in the book of Job. Uh, um, I think it's one of the things going on in, um, the man amongst the tombs, you know, demon, is that demon possessed man? Yeah, yeah, the the demon possessed man. Um, you, but like with Job, why is it that you have all of these people gathered around trying to convince Job to just admit that he's the, mm. the issue, well, mm. so that they can scapegoat him, right? Because you don't have fire just randomly fall from heaven and burn up a bunch of people at a party, usually. And everybody's going to be sad and upset because it's not going to be just Job's children that die in something like that, right? People die in, in, and then they're going to say, what's going on? What, why is there fire falling from heaven? Why is, our, why is our village falling apart or our tribe falling apart? What's going on? Job, just admit it's you. We can then all blame you together. And, and he just keeps saying, it's not me. It's not me. He refuses to be scapegoated um, over and over. He refuses to be scapegoated and he's right. It's not him. It was God and Satan directing all of that ire towards him um, in order to turn Job into the person that God had in mind for him in order to bring him an even greater blessing. And you know, um, so you, he was, God planned on doubling his blessing and that's what it looks like um, to, to find a resurrection blessing. Mm. Uh, so, but he refuses to be scapegoated all along and they keep coming back and they keep pressing and pressing and pressing. Just admit it's that all of this is your fault, Job. Um, and it because it wasn't, and he refused to be scapegoated and um, it, the, and so you see this, but you see this scapegoating mechanism all over the place. You know, you see it in families that, only get along during election season because they all really hate the Democrats. And so the, but the rest of the year they fight um, the rest of the time they fight, but during election season, they can throw their ire outward. And the only real solution is Jesus 
who is the actual scapegoat, an effective scapegoat, which is why when the gospel is preached, tribes that used to scapegoat one another mm. become peaceful neighbors and eventually... I want to talk about that. I want to work through that in just a second. I want okay. Philip, Philip jump in here. Um, oh, Philip is not, his mic is muted. All right, Philip, you got three seconds. Oh, I was just going to say uh, in Twitter spaces, the icon to speak is a, is a mute icon. I was just trying to mute myself, brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Philip. Um, I'll remove him. You can stay right there and listen. All right. Um, let's see. We got Max. Max, you got hey, a question? Brother. Jump in here. What's your question, man? Um, yeah, I uh, well, thank you, thank you guys for your work. Uh, first of all, I appreciate it. Um, I think we probably are going to have some disagreement on some things. Uh, Let's with, go, Max. With what you guys are talking about, um, I I wasn't in for the whole for the whole uh, the whole video or whatever, but um, I don't know if you guys uh, defined paganism. Did you do that at all? Okay, so I, I didn't hear your definition. I, I think I got on too late. Um, but it, pagan behavior, I you know, I would just want to define as basically disregarding God's word, doing what God says not to do. That, that I, I I don't know if that's an adequate definition. That's that's what I want to. That's what I see with the pagans in in the Bible. Is they're just people who disobey God. And his word is that fair? Well, we we were talking about we divided it up into paganism as a philosophical system, uh, you know, okay. instead of assumptions and ideas, mm -hmm. uh, summarized as um, the world creates itself. So the world doesn't have right a creator God. Okay, right. So so a little more cosmological is where you were going with yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, you did say something I did. I definitely agree with where you said that the that the Republican Party is trying to fight paganism with different paganism. <laughs> yeah, um, that's I think the most important thing in politics right now is to recognize that the Republicans are fundamentally pagans. They fundamentally deny God's law as their authority. Like I, I just saw someone I think is who's a national who's in the, the Congress. And he said that a tweet was bigoted because the tweet said, we need to follow Jesus. And he said, that's a bigoted tweet. Yeah, that's yeah. not an American tweet. So I think so I, I'm kind of having trouble with not seeing how, Christian nationalism is not pagan. So that that's that's the trouble I'm having because I've been yeah, following the Christian nationalists. I'm following the Christian nationalists, I'm reading the Christian nationalists. They seem to be pagans to me. And I and I'm I'm bolstered in that position because when I read the old the old uh, the old school of theonomists, it seems like they're saying the same thing. Um you know, men who are respected theonomists like Andrew Sandlin thinks that Christian nationalism is pagan. Philip Kaiser, who you've had on Cross Politic, calls Christian nationalism a manifesto for Christian tyranny. Like, I'm not seeing how Christian nationalism is not just pagan statism that's got lipstick on. So if you could just talk about that for a minute. 
All right, Max. Thanks, man. Yeah. So can, uh, well, I, can, can I start off real quick? Yeah. Um, yeah, you go first. All right. So I think that there are having a lot of friends that are Christian nationalists. Uh, I think there are a lot of theonomists that are Christian nationalists that are just using the title and are saying, you know what? I'll just redefine everything that nationalism stands for and 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 redefine what I mean by nationalist and Christian, make sure that those things are within my theonomic worldview. What we haven't seen come to head yet, and I think in order to be able to make some of this very clear, Max, we're going to have to see the theonomist and the Christian nationalist have a conversation. And until we see that, it's going to be a little difficult to try, because when people, even the word theonomy, there are multiple people who have theonomy and they're, they're different places on this. And you're like, whoa. And the Christian nationalists, there isn't, this is, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, one of the things that's a problem with Christian nationalism is that there isn't a cohesive thought really around it, right? Like there's not one, there's multiple. And so you have to be careful who, which, which brand you're talking about. Um, and they're talking culture and covenant. And I think a lot of them mean covenant while they're using culture and it's all mixed up. And so it's a, it's a tangled web. And I'm not willing to call all the Christian nationalists pagans. Um, I think Christian nationalism and nationalism in itself definitely has some massive paganistic uh, cosmology that it shares. Um, but I have to, t you got to tell me who you're talking about first before I can actually apply that directly to it. But if we're going to talk about just what the, the Christian nationalism in and of itself, the, the actual name, and that's what I think guys like Sandlin and um, Kaiser, I think they're dealing with if words actually mean something, <laughs> then let me deal with that. But then what people are meaning by the words, we're, we're all, it's all over the place. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say is when I hear the term Christian nationalism and I know what nationalism has meant historically, nationalism was the way out of the old cosmology mm. um, you know, into this cosmology on a... Um, so instead of needing an international um, power grab, you could settle for a national power grab. <laughs> so well, a power, yeah. power, you know, so, but most people on the street actually don't know what nationalism is. And so when they say nationalism, they often just mean patriotism. I would like a Christian nation. I would like, yeah. You know, so that's a, that's, that's the difficulty is, is when you've got jello um and you say oh let's nail it to the wall you actually get a, a mess not jello nailed to the wall you can't and christian nationalism is still in that phase um but but i think you know um it's this is a a problem all across the board because i think theonomy is in that same watch category it. watch it <laughs> because you know it's, when i say well i'm not a theonomist and then yeah, people you say, yeah, sure you are. I said, well, but the theonomists that I've talked to said this. And the, another theonomist says, but that's not theonomy. It's like, okay, well, you've got to be, we've got to actually give definitions before we start dealing. So I would say. Hmm. I think I see a that? foster in the chat. I see a foster <laughs> in the chat. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. So, bring Mike Foster in. Yeah. So what I would say is um, insofar as the, so the the kind of Christian nationalism that wants to rest a lot on um, on ethnicity and common culture as the 
as the thing that can that can has the power to hold us together rather than um covenant legal objectivity uh you're talking paganism you're talking tribalism a the tribalistic kind of paganism um because the uh uh, uh, christian christian uh understanding of of nations and tribes and tongues and um it is that the that legal uh, legal requirements are held together by uh, covenants. Uh, legal, uh, legal, there's a legal objectivity to them. There's a historic uh, reality and historic objectivity that comes from vows, the the, the vows and um, the covenant requirements. So that's a. Um, that if I said, you know, who, who is my neighbor and who is a stranger in the land, um, that those are, those have been if, circumcised. You, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that, like, who is like, who is a stranger in the land? It is a legal question, right? Right. Right. Like, right. There are legal objective covenant standards by which to answer that question. Mm. Um, it's not, you're not talking DNA. You're not talking culture. You're not talking, ethnicity none those things are not that's not the question you're asking in those settings in a christian understanding of and so legal, when you think but when you think about your children you think about your kids they fit underneath the legal realities of the covenant though right so right because a covenant by definition includes the next generation yeah god made covenant with adam and his posterity michael foster what's up bro Hey guys, how you doing? We doing good. Thought I'd hop on you real quick. I'm driving myself. Bro, you're in so much trouble. What you doing driving and talking on the phone? <laughs> hey, I, I if mean, you get pulled over, just keep filming. That's all I want. I just want it I all. Will. Yeah. And, and I can look at the road. And, and Knox uh, explained you know. to me that you have to keep your hands visible. <laughs> no, What's he that? don't have to. <laughs> but. uh there's a lot of things leading to this paganism. Hey, by the way, Jason, how in the world can you have a legal reality that doesn't yield culture? Well, it can yield culture, but it's not it doesn't rest on culture. The the legal reality that, is not intertwined. Doesn't it not. Uh, it depends on how you're defining culture. So the the, um, but you don't. Uh, the the culture is not the so, um, is not the foundation. It's okay, oops, sorry. Okay, we got, we got I a guess bit of a when delay. I look at Ruth leave, yeah, and I apologize for that. When I see Ruth leaving um, the Moabites, right? So she does make a covenant. She calls on God's covenant name, Yahweh, um, but she also says, "Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God." She immediately comes in and. Uh, and synchronizes to the culture of the land, right? She yep. does the goes underneath the law of greening and all that sort of stuff. And whereas in um, in uh, Nehemiah thirteen, the Moabite wives that are married to the Israelites, they, they produce children that speak don't speak their language and whatever. And so, uh, why Nehemiah is so tough on them is because they're still very much Moabites in their culture and commitments in their worship. And he warns them, whereas in Ruth, you see a real leaving of her people and identifying with Israel um, through uh, both the covenant, but also in adopting the culture. 
Um, it just seems like those things are deeply intertwined to me. Right, but it's just a question of which rests on which. Right, because it's not because you can't. I guess. You can't. You can't change. You can't change culturally, but never take the legal reality onto yourself. True, I, I can see that. Except, yeah. I think that's what people want to argue, though. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, so one thing that I think is going on with the return of paganism, I've noticed this with like Michael Heiser stuff, and I'm not a Michael Heiser fan at all. I don't really like his stuff, but um. I think rationalism was a huge part of it, where Christians had synchronized to rationalism in a sort of materialistic worldview. And the world's clearly, you know, enchanted. The world's full of all sorts of crazy stuff. God's cosmos is a spiritual, physical reality. And, uh, and there's no way to deny that, especially when you read the Old Testament. And I think the church's failure to teach and preach through the Old Testament has people, uh, uh, and I know the New Testament's full of miracles and wonderful things as well, but just the fact of how God's involved in the mundane and all these awesome things comes across in um, in the Old Testament. And part of the problem is that people have a, a, a deep hunger uh, for spiritual things. It's just in who they are. They know the world's not, you know, all, all these aliens are it's just it's the latest version of Sprite. Hey, Mike, you're breaking up real bad, man. Yeah. Like, I actually just froze up. Try it. If you can come back in with a better connection, because I got questions for you. I want to know what you mean by culture. Yeah. Like I want to, I, I want to define what culture is. Because but I, I think he's absolutely right about the, uh, the materialism think- though. Well, no, I, 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 yeah, but here, you know, um, when we're talking about culture, it's to act as if, and I don't think Mike is getting at this point at all, but to act as if Christianity or covenant realities to God don't come with the culture would be insane. Right. Like that, of course they do. That's not, that's not, I think there's another conversation happening underneath that we're not having because everybody knows when you make covenants, you are creating a culture right there. And God is giving yeah. you your culture ultimately. The question we're asking, we're I think, planting the seeds of a culture. Well, yeah. Well, you're going to have you're going to have festivals. You're going to have celebration days. You're going to have Sabbath days. You're going to have feasts. You're going to have, you know, we um, my wife and I, when we got married, created a whole different culture than what was originally in our family, right? right. That became unique to us, right? Now we had other covenants with other people that we were still attached to, so we shared some of that. But my kids are even. I mean, so when we talk about culture, I think there's a covenantal reality of culture that comes from Christendom. But then we're not actually talking about the other culture that um, breeds from nations and from people and groups. I don't think we're having that conversation yet, and that thing is a conversation we're really trying to have because I don't think anybody's going to say is like, okay. If you become a Christian, of course you're you you bring it to a Christian culture. Yeah, duh. Everybody. But but what is that? What does that look like? How do you define that? Right? What are the parameters by which you have a Christian culture? And if we're just talking about Christian culture, then nobody is there's no argument here. But that's not what right. we're talking about. We're actually talking about ethnic culture, right? We're talking about racial cultures. 
That's what we're, and nobody really, I want to have, like, that's the conversation I think is underneath the reality of this, of what's going on when we're talking about culture. That's why I want to know, like, Mike, if you can jump back in, if you get a signal anyway, jump back in. Yeah, because I do think that the, um, that when you start, when you, that we don't easily separate, you know, our national identity and our Christian identity, um, and so when you, uh, but I do think that they both have to be, or it ought to be landed on, um, here we go. I think primarily on a covenant, right. You, that, and that, you know, the big failure, uh, of our immigration policies is that we, uh, that we bring people in, but don't bring them into the national covenant, um, that that should be a part of bringing people into america is hey here's you want to join here's the national covenant you know here's the here's citizenship here's what it looks like i mean i've lived in california most people never become citizens that cross the border um and that causes all sorts of problems because you don't they um you don't have the the legal system at the base of everything that grows up there yeah mike mike did you hear what i was saying were you able to catch any of that earlier before you no, you, Jason didn't call somebody a transvestite again, did he? Yeah, <laughs> that's why you jumped out so you knew it was about to happen. No, like, don't don't connect me to that mess. Bring <laughs> me out of that stuff. You're part of the movement now, bro. This part of your culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying, like, what do, you, what do you mean by culture? Because I think that every Christian, I don't care who you talk to, every Christian is going to say there is Christian culture. You come into covenant with Christ, you know you're you're coming into a whole different world, a whole culture, right? And so when people, I don't think when people are talking about culture, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. I think we're actually, there's a group of us talking about culture that we all obviously agree on, but we're really trying to have a conversation about race and the cultures that come from that though. I mean, so my, so I grew up biracial. My, my uncle Roberto you look introduced like me to, uh, well, don't judge me that way, man. Okay. I, don't do that. Right. Uh, but uh, I uh, my uncle Roberto introduced me to Guns and Roses, Alice in Chains, D&D, and he was black as midnight with a huge fro. Right. Right. And um, and so I think part of the I don't want to get into this too much because this is like one of those transvestite sort of things that it goes wrong. <laughs> and I got to deal with this for months. And I'm People like, I barely know Jason. <laughs> right. I. He's not in the series. He's in the PCA. Don't <laughs> leave me out of it. But um, but it does. You know, people do uh, make race and culture way more synonymous than they are. And uh, I, I, so, if you grew up diverse like I did, right? I grew up on. Um, I, at one point, I went to a school where the whites whites were the minorities. You know, so I I learned to hold my own real quick and how to how to manage that and. And I grew up watching New Jack City, and I grew up with your mama jokes, and I grew up watching Living Color. Is that what you're trying to get? You trying to get your black card? I oh man, I, I had it long ago. I don't, I don't need it. That's that's why I don't fit into the reform world. Uh, right, uh, well, I get it. Really, I do. Autistic white boy. Uh, um, but um, nonetheless, uh, but then I also lived on a university campus where you have a lot of people coming from. You know, like IU had lots of Asians, and so I grew up with a lot of people, friends from Korea and Japan. And, uh, and then it, when you just live around that, you know how similar people are because because they bear the image of God and same thing. So um, I remember when I started meeting these pastors in Acts 29 back in the day that were all about racial reconciliation. 
And I, I told them that I thought their problem was, is they grew up in the suburbs and the first black guy they met in college that they really got to know their entire life was a liberal. And they, they think black people are the Borg and they have like some sort of hive mind. (laughs) So you, you meet this black liberal guy in college and suddenly you think all blacks think this way. You're trying to reconcile them. And I'm like, that's, I've, I have lots of black friends that kind of run the spectrum politically uh, yeah. certainly in the shows and things they want. So a lot of this is people just are, when I hear some of the sort of Kenneth talk and whatever, I do think some of these people are relatively isolated and haven't had a lot of interaction. And if they did, they would know where the cultural differences lie in a less cartoonish way on both sides. That's kind of from my perspective on that, but with culture, I mean, we mean uh, the way of life that flows from religion being externalized, right? We mean uh, our music, our food, everything. But that, but it's also the way you do it. You know, people, Keller, what, Keller did what, a lot of, go on, sorry. What's Christian food? Christian food is food that's, uh, that's received with Thanksgiving and ate, ate with gratitude. Yeah. And, and so okay. um, Keller, there's so many bad things about Keller. But there was good things he said. And, he, and he, one point he made is that the subculture, it looks different on the outside than the main culture. But really what drives it's the same on the inside. Same stuff. Where a counterculture uh, often can look at some level when we're talking about sort of external trappings, clothing, whatever. They can look similar on the outside. But what drives them on the inside are totally different. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. what most people have is subcultures that are really mimicking uh, mainstream conversations happening as opposed to deeply driven by biblical worldview and convictions. And so culture, so you can have things like the way you eat food is different from one group to the next, um, depending on what your religious commitments are, whether you're a Christian or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Table manners. I I don't think that, yeah, that seems exactly right. I'm fine with that. But I, there's something else underneath this conversation. I wish I don't know how to get at it that people are it feels like they want to say or that they're not saying. It. I'm like, y'all, just let's just beat up straight and say it and not figure like we have to hide behind. Well, how about the L.A. riots? If you want to talk about race. So one of the things behind the L.A. riots um, that I've read is that there was huge tension between uh, the urban poor black population and Asians. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And part of the reason, if you've grown up around lots of kind of um, urban uh, black culture and Asian culture, which I have, they are diametric opposed in the way they communicate. So like my black friends, if you made a good a good joke, they'd be like, oh, no. And they're like, run away, laugh. And kind yeah, of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Very dramatic, right? Yeah. And Asian people, if they're happy or angry, a lot of times it looks the same. And also the, they don't have I, I can remember when I'd walk into stores, how the Asian shop owners would just watch me because they thought I was stealing because I was. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But the very stern um, kind of uh, downplayed reactions. And so there was like a deep animosity building between those two groups. And a lot of it was like people not understanding like the cultural differences that, that are very real there. Um, some which are really secondary and others that are primary out of worldview. Uh, so I, I do think what people 
are sensing like, look, I think there's deep differences between certain people groups. Yeah. And when we, when we downplay that, it, it hurts our ability to bring them along to see kind of the, the whole picture. Um, and so I think that's some of it. And they, and they're identifying it along genetic lines uh, too tightly, but others that deny that there's different genetic, uh, different distributions uh, IQ distributions in certain genetic pools. That's not helping either. That's like, you can't, you can't deny that, but you can explain why that happens too. Like there's a reason why these things uh, are tied together and they're ultimately driven uh, by cultural factors, not by genetic factors. Like culture leads that. Bro. I just got to jump in here and say that, you know, it's really weird because you have then somebody like Oliver Anthony who drops a song and that trans is transcending all of the cultural and every and all of a sudden it's one culture now. And it don't matter what race you are. Everybody, I've watched every nationality, group, culture, watch his video and be like, man, he's right. That is a damn shame. Right. And all of them are connected around that. And so there's it's it seems like the thing that are the covenant is ultimately what's missing in in unifying those subcultures. Well, socioeconomics are more powerful. Um, than a lot of the secondary cultural things. So if you put a rich white guy and a rich black guy in a room with a poor white guy and a poor black guy, people that don't know better will think the two black guys will connect. And the <laughs> right. two white guys, but they're wrong. It's a wealthy will connect because those are two different ways of living. Those are two different ways of conducting yourself that are very different. And generally, and some evidence of that would be how, uh, you, you, you used to see this play out on college campuses. We're getting a little more divided these days, obviously. But uh, the ability for people from very different cultures to become close friends and intermix when they're suddenly thrown all into the same dormitory or whatever at the same life stage with the same connections is pretty. Oh, snap. You outnumbered now. Or it's tied. It's, it's, we got Bert Walker in here now. So and I just want to say, no, you know, wait, which of us is the poor two and which is the rich two? If yeah. we're, if we're, if, if we're figuring out, Knox got that fight, laugh, feast money. Look at that. Yeah. No, G3 money is where it's at though. Yeah. G3 money. That's where you want to be at. Burgess, your mic on? I don't see your mic on. I'm not hearing you. Yeah. Uh, there we go. You got me. There we go. Yeah. I, I'm, Austin, I just want to say this real quick. I think you're right about the two black guys and the two white guys, rich and, and poor. I think you, the setup that you just gave, I think you're right about that until a, a hip hop song comes on and then all bets are off the table. Right. It, it, there's something there that even transcends the socioeconomic realities. Right. He's just, he's just talking about how good at crunking I am. Yeah. Cause when, when, when hip hop has been for me, one of the only genres that I've seen because of the way that it samples from other cultural genres and brings them all together, it's almost like a unity that I don't even, it's a unity there that rich, poor, um, white, black, Asian, Mexican, they all kind of come together underneath that. And it's a whole different thing. And that's where I like, is like, well, they've all come together underneath this kind of reality of the covenant of hip hop to say, yes, that represents a Wu-Tang. I mean, look at the people who follow Wu-Tang, you know? And, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is how is it that hip hop, can be the thing that unites covenantally everybody together and somehow Christendom has us fighting over everything, you know? Don't you, don't you think some of that, um, we ain't got black friends that w weren't allowed to listen to hip hop growing up. They had to listen to uh, black gospel and jazz music. That was um, me. And 
isn't some of that though nostalgic like a connection a shared past so maybe they're a different place right now where they're socioeconomically but uh the the power of nostalgia like for example like i've really moved up and if you want to talk about upward mobility over my life you know i grew up on food stamps and government cheese i love government uh peanut butter man you have to mix the oil in on the top you rip it off big white can mix it all up stuff was delicious Urgent, give him his card give him his card man just give uh, him he, he he had he had me at new jack city oh <laughs> yeah i can i can do a perfect impression of screaming ricky when ricky gets killed and uh was in the hood man ricky you know that whole thing yeah uh but yeah, man. I mean, I, I grew up listening to Live Crew and all that stuff. That's that's how I came up. But um, nonetheless, going back to, I, I do wonder. I, I think culture is so multifaceted. Uh-huh. We're so short bus retarded today mm. that it's so hard to have real conversations. Because I look at this, and there's ways that, like, uh, so when my mom died a couple of weeks ago, so my oh. closest friends growing up were all black, and. Um, and so they, they drove down to uh, – I hadn't seen some of them in like 15 years. Mm. But I told my wife when we got married, I'm like, look, if Quinn calls me up and tells me we got to bury a body, we got to bury a body. Sorry, babe. Like <laughs> we got rested together. We came up together. It's just the rules, right? And uh, so we were real tight. Um, so they drive down, and, uh, and then I just change. Now, I didn't mm. lose my faith or anything. But it it was a different way, man, like a different way of talking, a different way of joking, a different way of relating. And they just brought me back there. And I and it was one of the best gifts I could get on my my mom's funeral. Right. Th- these are people that just we we came into adulthood together. And uh, when I became a Christian, they neither of them were Christians at the time. And they were so happy because we were like getting arrested for crazy stuff. And um, and they were glad. But suddenly I was just trance transported back to to my childhood and so i came up so I, I a lot of times when i hear these cultural conversations there's like I, someone this morning asked me give the purpose of marriage in three words or less no how about i don't why do we keep these like four words or less no that's not how you do things what's the main factor man i don't know like if you, you want me to weigh all the factors with different percentages, you know how complicated this is all going to start getting. So I think part of the conversation is like, you have to have people that are, are in the pursuit of truth together, trying to figure out how do we build bridges and understand each other and what connects in, in this conversation. So charged, the rhetoric, so charged yeah, yeah, and everything. It's like, do I think genetics play a factor? Yeah. Do I think they play the factor that some of these people are saying online? No, no, I don't. But if I say that, like the number of kinists who follow me, right? Uh, uh, Irish Pawnee Jew, like, right? Bloodlines, uh, Native American, Jewish, and Irish. And uh, that was raised by a Holocaust survivor who adopted a black son who I grew up with. The number of candidates that follow me always blows my mind. I'm like, I know you guys think I'm on your side and I don't hate y'all, but (laughs) this is not, this isn't my camp. Trust me. But as soon as I admit to they're like, yeah, I think there's genetic factors that play out in this. Then they're claiming me up and then their enemies are going to turn me into a chemist, which is like, it's crazy. Right. I've like been 
very clear that's not where I fall. Um, or if I downplay that and I say, well, the gospel, the gospel really does unite trans trans uh national does connect people in these major ways suddenly now i'm a a gnostic egalitarian that's denying uh the diversity that god's put into the world including human beings that's that's the sort of dialogue we're having right now the rhetoric is so intense and so over the top that it's really hard to have the conversation and um and that's and so when you can't those sort of people that are like that you just got to you just got to block them. Elon's going to make us not block them, being a punk. But you just got to block them. You can't have that talks. And so trying to find the level-headed people in the groups that actually want to think through this stuff. Like um, my my friend Michael Griffin said, he was hanging out with all these sort of racial reconciliation Acts 29 groups. And they're like, why black people come to our church? What do we need to do to get more black people to our church? And Michael said, they never thought, maybe we don't want to go to your church. Like maybe we're going to our local church that we grew up in. They're doing gospel music and we've got our culture. That's like, it's Christian, but it's our own. Like it's, it's a byproduct of that place and time that God puts you that, that different history and all that stuff. And it's still very Christian, but it's contextual to the group of people. Like, like maybe, maybe we don't want to, you know, in this sort of pursuit of a church that's like demographically balanced. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if you make my church East river de demographically balanced, we got to chop one black guy in half. So we could have one point black, one, one black guy and a half of a black guy. Right. Like I guess this top half is a half we'll take, but because th there's not a lot of black people out here in this County. And, um, well, why not? Well, why, why not? Because <laughs> there's not lots of you. There's not very many. <laughs> what, 15, 20%. I don't know. 25. And the 13, 15, something like that. Yeah. But Virgil, you, you just dropped in. Uh, hey, I see Jason Whitlock's in here too. Hey, Doc, I sent you a text if you want to jump in um, to the video side of the conversation as well. I uh, just want to salute those guys, a couple other brothers. All right, so I'm going to give the floor to Virgil. Virgil, you popped in. You didn't even know what you was getting into. Just no. oh, so you're here with the four of us now, so go ahead. You yeah. got no, I just thought the conversation was interesting, man. And anytime I see, I see. Uh, your your brown ball beautiful face, man. I, I stop and click and see what's what's popping. You know what I'm saying? So uh, then then I heard I heard my brother talk about New Jack City, and I said, "Oh, give that man a black card." So you know, uh, I was I was I was all in on on that. Um, talking about culture and and its impact, and uh, I just you know I, I'm not one. I, I like all the stuff you're talking about, like going and. Uh, if if your friend called and you had to bury a body, you had to bury a body. I, I don't I don't I don't know anything about that. Like I have no <laughs> I, have zero, I have zero framework for that. Me yesterday. Now I've got now I've got uncles, you know, on my dad's side that uh, that that know, you know, jail time, drugs, whole nine yards. But I, I never attached that to. That's what it meant to be black. I just attached that to that's what it that's what it looks like to be stupid, and um, so uh, I did I did what I did. You know, I, I mean, I, I was the kid that got you know that that I, I could tell you I'll tell you one story, and there was this girl. I was in a in a in an area uh, of I think this was Tulsa, Oklahoma, in an area of Tulsa, Oklahoma, predominantly white area, white neighborhood, going to predominantly white school, and so you know 
for the most part, you know, you didn't, you didn't have, you didn't have, uh, uh, you know, a lot, lot, lot to choose from if you were going to stay within your, you know, your ethnicity as far as dating is concerned. So this one beautiful sister shows up. She's black Puerto Rican. I'm like, oh, this is gonna work. Like this is <laughs> this is gonna work. She had just moved in. I'm thinking, ah, oh, this is this is wonderful. So I start kind of trying to trying to charm her and all of that. And and uh, this was the first time I found out, you know, I, I was not black enough for her. Uh, <laughs> I I, <laughs> I didn't I didn't speak, you know street slang and I wasn't hardcore enough and all of this. And man, it, it, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, you know? So what I tried to do in an effort to impress her was, uh, cause it, here, here was the catalyst. Like we had, we had, um, uh, you know, every, every quarter you, 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 you hit the honor roll, they would send you to a, a special, um, you know, thing that, that, that they have for all the honor roll students, you'd show up and they give you your award or whatever, whatever. So I went, had a 3.5 or 3.6 GPA, and I was mad because I didn't hit higher, all of that. I, well, they, they, all of the honor roll students, you would leave the class, right? And so everybody else was left. So they knew, knew who you were. So I left the class and, and uh, got my little award. And I was kind of disappointed, like, man, I, I really want to you know, get to the next level, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8. I get back to the class, and she just kind of looking like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what? She's like, man, you you up there acting white, doing them grades like that. I was like, like what, like what are you talking about? And uh, sure enough, the thought process in her mind was, you know, it, it, acting white was getting good grades, speaking proper English, all of those kinds of things. So, and then again, in an effort to impress her, the next next quarter, uh, I, I I hit the big big two point eight, and uh, I'm thinking. Now, now, now I'm down for the cause. You know, I could, I could get them digits now, like boom. And uh, she still wasn't having it. So, <laughs> bullet dodged. So, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt, no doubt. Bullet dodged. I, I, I definitely followed her life thereafter, and it was not a pretty sight at all. So, um, so here's something that's interesting. I, so my experience. This is how diverse it is. In my in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, where I grew up, right across from Seagram's Whiskey Plant, I stole a, I stole a barrel of whiskey from there once. But um, I, uh, the white families were pretty broken. The poor white families were, uh, including mine. Um, but the black friends, like, you know, dad was around, but the, the black women, they just, they just kept everyone so disciplined, man. It was like they were intense. And I remember one night, I, we were out till like two or three in the morning, me and my friend Quinn at this girl's house. We shouldn't have been, it was like a weekday during school. We came back and uh, as he was about to go in the back door of his house, his mom opened the door and she said, boy, get your stuff off. You're getting whooped. And then I laughed and she said, Mike, you want some too? I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> so, I went home, but um, <laughs> I was like, no, ma'am. <laughs> Um, but uh, anyhow, um, I, I think um, it was interesting. There was still discipline in that culture. And in Coming Undone by Charles Murray, he yeah. talked about mm. basically white, what the cultural rot is everywhere now. Yeah. And, and that was happening in Lawrenceburg. It was very like the white poor culture was very dirty. Is what I remember. Very dirty. Very, and when I went to my poor black friend's house, it was actually always tidy and nice. 
And um, it was just very different. I just remember there being discipline still in the homes by the men somewhat. The men seem to discipline via shame a lot. <laughs> like shame was like a real powerful tool in that group. And I think that's something that can be really good and helpful. But I don't know when I have those experiences, I don't hear other other folks talking about it. And I, I don't know how unique Warrensburg was. I got the sense it's not, but I don't hear people talk about that. Hey, I, I, I've got a, I got a question, Knox. Did you did, did you and I don't I don't as long as I've known you, I don't even know this. You had, did you have your father in, in the home? Yeah, for, until about um, 11 or so. Uh, yeah, so there was, it's funny because growing up, being around all my black friends who did, I was one of the few who had them, my dad around. Matter of fact, even amongst my brothers and sisters, so I have like 12, 13 siblings, probably more than that, actually, when I think about it. And my dad stayed with us more than he stayed with any of my other brothers and sisters. So oh, he stayed wow. with my mom longer than he did with my other brothers and sisters. And so there was a radical difference of how my sister and I grew up versus the rest of my brothers and sisters. Yeah. And not just that, but even with uh, the friends, my friends around me, um, we had different disciplines, hardworking disciplines to to get in there and grind into work and to get things done, not asking questions. It was my dad was ex-military, so we jumped in there and got things done. Um, but the area when I really um, where I see the lack of father, where I see father hunger in my own life is, you know, the turn to going from um, uh, yeah, I'm going to use these terms, but I don't mean them exactly the way they are going to be used but from a slave to a king you know the bible talks about the servant is just like the the son in one sense until he comes to a certain age and he steps into his kingship that transition for me is something that i have continually had to remind myself you're not a slave anymore you're not you know and so my dad not being there for the teenage years left me in a place where yeah i can work hard yeah i can grind yeah i can get things done but i don't know when it's time to rule right mm -hmm. and so i've had to learn like, okay, take off your slave clothes, go put your king clothes on and rule. And to be very honest with you, the only thing that has, um, how do we get here at a counseling session with not, I was not trying to go here. Today. I was I'm just curious, man. Uh, but was getting married. And the thing that, that really helped me was like, I know one thing for sure. I'm not getting a divorce. Whatever happens in my no. marriage, we are staying together. I don't care if she kills me in the middle of this, we're going to stay together. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I might have to call Matt to bury a body. Uh, so <laughs> uh, uh, but um, the thing was that helped me mature and say, I got to lead this woman. So I got to figure out how to do it. Sure. And so I had to go and find autobiographies and I had to go and watch other men. And part of the reason I came out to Moscow was that, oh, this was another level of being around a concentrated group of men who were leading their wives and leading their families. And, and, and everybody thinks, you know, they come out here for Doug. Like, that's great. If, if Doug wasn't here though, there is such a high concentration of men being husbands and fathers, ones that people don't even know about that were so impressionable to me and impressed upon me how to lead. And they don't even know it. Yeah. Right. I call it keeping up with the Joneses of sanctification. And so there is um, a level where, you know, a father in the earlier stages of a young man's life. My mom and dad finalized the divorce probably when I was 12, uh, 11 or 12, somewhere on there. But it helped frame certain things of for me that I had never had frame. And now my kids are coming into another stage of life where they have finally had me longer than I've had my dad. My daughter's 15. My son is 13. Uh, they're going to be 16 and 14 this and, and before the end of the year. And now I'm realizing the things that I need to lay out that I never had. So I have to go and learn those things so I can teach them what it looks like to mature uh, and have that father around. So 
and this kind of brings me to what I want to. Uh, Virtue, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Because I, no, I, I was I was curious. We we have very similar paths that that, that you and I walk. Same same deal. My my, my dad just just passed away yeah. uh, here about about a month ago, and so. Um, you know, just just kind of navigating that process, thinking through that, and again reflecting on <clears throat> his role in my life. Very similar to you. Um, I, I, I I I'm not one. Of, I'm not a statistic. Like I knew I know right. who my dad is. I don't I don't. You know, I'm not like looking for fa- father affirmation. Uh, my dad was always there. Um, like you, uh, like like you explained your dad. My dad taught me how to work. Work ethic was driven into me like crazy. Uh, my dad, my dad, I, I tell people he was functionally illiterate. Uh, he, he could not read. He would learn to kind of sound things out or he would memorize particular words. And, and he would kind of put that t- together to in, or, in order to get by. Yeah. Uh, there, there were a lot of times when I would go to uh, places where, where my dad would work and I would read things to him. So if he had to put together something for he had a janitorial business. So if he had to put like chemicals together to do something for a floor or something like that, I had, you know, I would read that to him and tell him what what needed to happen. And so, and again, he would, he would come home and use the Bible and he would read and memorize. And, and so he, he could function, but, but for the most part, you know, he, he didn't even have a sixth grade reading level. My dad didn't graduate from, from the sixth grade. And so he was always, it's always about work. And so like, like you said, like learning about, about what it meant to rule uh, and to reign and to lead uh, that came from reading other men, uh, other, other books, examples of other men. I always gravitated toward wanting to be around uh, men, older men uh, from a standpoint of example, you know, and that, that, that kind of thing. So same, same, same type deal was, was never, never missed the love of my father. No, my dad loved me and proud of me and all of that, but just, uh, you know, j- just learning, having to learn next steps. What does it mean to lead a family? What does it mean to, uh, to, 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 to uh, function in a, in a, in a, in a, you know, in an executive role at, at, yeah. at work or what have you, having to learn those things kind of from others by way of example. So same, same type of deal. And, and since we're talking about it, there's a guy on the panel here that's actually wrote a book. It's good to be a man that everybody needs to go get. Very helpful. I appreciated that, Mike, for sure. Um, let me turn this down. I want to go back to paganism a little bit, because I think that when, every time that I look at a problem and I want to get you guys take on this, we, we were just talking about paganism, the influx of paganism. Um, Jason has been talking about this with me for a while that when paganism comes, so does violence. And I think we can see it in a, a host of other pla- a host of places around the culture. When we are looking at abortion, what do you think that is? Like that's like that's Moloch worship right there, clear and, and cut dry. Don't give your kids the Moloch. That's don't right. let them pass through the fire. That's easy. And I don't think that Christians have been as aware of the paganism. So now we have the other form of paganism. We cut them up to kill them. Now we want to cut them up to remake them in transgender movement, right? So that's another form of paganism. And, and and so it's just, there's violence in the murder. There's violence in the cutting of the body to cut off their body parts, to, to sacrifice them. And then, you know, the education system. Like we, we forget government education is not designed to make your children good children for you. It's to make them good slaves for the state. Yes. And so it's, it's we are sending our kids off <laughs> to pagan worship by sending them to government schools yep. to learn that pagan system. They're teaching them. I mean, when you got evolution being taught in the school, I don't know how every Christian is like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Yep. Um, we see it in um, our uh, shoot, the way that we look at economics right now, yep. uh, we are uh, the, in communism. It's just, it's all power. So anyway, I want to, you got, wanna, you got, you, you got the, 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 the guy, guy in worship 
yes. with the, with the uh, you know, with the climate change and all of that. Yes, climate change, yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, it's huge. So I just kind of want to sec- want everybody to go around for a minute here and let's let's just talk about how do we uproot um uh, it's, we're talking about culture this kind of paganistic culture that's come in by storm and and I think even Christians in one way or another are a part of this cosmology they share it um and so they don't I haven't seen great answers coming from Christians that are um that seem like they're actually going to be effective in the fight okay um, so I just kind of want to uh, go around. Jason, you want to start and just kind of just talk about how in the world do we uproot the paganistic worldview that we're facing in such a way that um, is actually effect, effect, effectious or um, effective? effective. Yes. Efficacious. Yeah. Efficacious. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, in my mind, if you look back at the way the um, the early church, the early medieval church as well, sent missionaries out to the pagans and how the, the effectiveness, uh, there were two major ways that the, that pagans were converted uh, effectively. You had um, the St. Augustine of Canterbury um, who he went in and the, you have seven, seven kingdoms um, with a, and three tribal groups um in england and he sent out um there were two big important things that he realized early on is that if they they're not you're not just converting their mind the way you did with the greeks with the greeks you converted their mind and they didn't actually lose that much it became kind of a new philosophy um but they could keep the rest of their life going in a tribal setting to change religions you lost everything so they had to they, so when he brought the 40 monks and started a monastery that was a, a tribe that they yeah. could that people could join so that there was still a way for them to actually get enough food and ha- you know they they, he, they needed an extended f- the church to act like an extended family um it, the f- to be able to effectively deal with converts um so that was a that was part of it then they sent out poets um, in, in mass because the conversion of tribes, um, was not, uh, they didn't, the, you know, he's, he's, uh, St. Boniface, um, who failed in Germany to, con- um, convert the tribes. He, the, the guy that he followed on after, I mean, he, he eventually converted them through his martyrdom, but in his ministry, he didn't have a very effective ministry, but his, his blood showed the blood of Christ to the Germans and they were in, uh, converted, but he, the, 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 the monk that was there before him said, we've tried all of the philosophical things and none of them worked um, because they don't have the philosophical categories to explain the gospel. And the, um, Augustine of Canterbury uh, with Cademan and the different poets said, well, it's because the, the way to the soul in a tribal people is actually through the gut right through the poet through the heart through the through the poetry um and so they would they trained up poets and sent them into the poet poetry circles that they um so it was through the arts um and then uh another big part was when the a pagan would convert they would still bring us an animal sacrifice and they would and instead of and and gregory in a letter explains that they um 
he says, well, don't tell them no. If they bring a sacrifice, instead, barbecue it and have a, a, a fellowship meal. You know, have turn it into a potluck so that they know that their God gives to them and doesn't take from them anymore. Right? They, their new God is a, it works functions differently. So that was a really effective way to convert the pagans. Um, and then the other was Charlemagne. He mm. converted huge swaths of pagans at the tip of a sword. Um, but it, he, but it, it was, um, but he brought with them, if they converted, they also, they got education. They got a, a legal system that functioned. They, you know, they got all of the things that came along with civilization. Um, and the, because the church, uh, the, that, you know, if, uh, cult, if culture is, I, I don't like religion externalized because that acts like religion is something that's inside of us. But I do think that culture flows out of the covenant foundation that we have with God and then the liturgy of the Lord, the, the ways we worship the Lord before him. All of that flows out and changes and brings a people. Charlemagne brought a culture that uh, was just simply better right that they that um so you lost a war to charlemagne and you had the option of die or join and they looked over and they said well we it doesn't look too bad over there right so um and within a hundred years they were writing uh the uh, of their hero charlemagne right so um it only took a couple of generations to not have to survive hand to mouth to not have to survive on blood to not have to survive on rivalry um to not uh before they started saying boy we're sure we're sure grateful that uh, charlemagne insisted that we get baptized so i mean i think we, you've got a couple of different models but the church historically has figured out how to bring pagans in we haven't figured out really well how to bring modernists in um materialists in we've been we've basically failed at that so in some ways the repaganization i think is good news <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to I want to jump in here because I've got to run in a sec. Um, but I, I I loved kind of hearing you unpack kind of the, the historical approach that the church has made toward rooting out paganism. I think all of those things that you mentioned are uh, important lessons for us to learn. They're important. That's an that's an important historical narrative that we need to embrace, adopt, think through, look at. You know, we have the tendency in our current culture to reinvent things as if. A, it's never been tried before, never been done before. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's not been su successful or that it, it maybe it was successful, but this is a, this is a new day and time. Not recognizing that we're, we're dealing with the same hearts and minds and, uh, you know, and depravity, uh, whether whether it was historically or, or currently in, in our modern culture. I think it's going to require every every facet, you know, uh, of, of culture to be infused with. Uh, people who uh, un understand uh, what the what the mission uh, of the kingdom is, uh, it, whether it's the arts, whether it's the, you know, poetry, whether it's it's cinema, whether it's economics, whether it's politics, whether it's education, uh, you name the area. Believers are going to have to truly be believers in, in Christ who who know and understand their Bible and are absolutely living that out coming back to the local church to get infused with energy and, 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 you know, and the excitement that they need to go back out and treat things like they should recognizing that the world in which they live is, is the missional place by which we're to, we're to, we're to go and proclaim gospel and live out gospel and, 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 
uh, be a light of the gospel, be, be that which, uh, which is reflective of the gospel. So all of those pieces of the puzzle uh, are things I think that are imperative that, that we do. Uh, we, we've got to do it better. Uh, we, we have to think through, uh, you know, uh, understanding that, that, that we are indeed a body who has parts, right? There's a role that, that uh, each of us are to play that may not look like the other, and, and we don't have to cannibalize one another in an effort to get to where we're going. Mm, come on. Right. We, we, you know, there, there's a, there's a space in place uh, for, for, for Chalk Knox and, and, and his team and, and his folks to go do what they do. There's a space for me to go do what I do. Uh, I, I don't, I don't have to critique how you're handling what you're handling and, and whether, and, and if we do, we can do that behind the scenes, but go, go as a, as a forward army uh, advancing the cause and sake of Christ. And so I, I, I love to see more of that uh, and, and less of the, of the backbiting and backstabbing and, uh, you know, cloud chasing or, or, or platform platform growing. Uh, let, let's 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 grow the platform of Christ, root out paganism, and keep things moving. And so that's I, I think that's I think at the end of the day that's that's what it looks like. And that that's that's been my goal and my role. And I mean, uh, you know, Nas can tell you, man, whether it's whether it's out in front or behind the scenes, I'm always looking for those who honor God, love God, have a desire to to see His kingdom promoted. Uh, to 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 lock arms where we can uh, with other brothers who we may not completely agree with, but we understand we have a mission in mind and uh, we, we we keep it we keep it pushing. Uh, so I, I just I saw you. I wanted to. I, I've been. I've always wanted to be on the show, man. So this yeah. is my this is, this is my this is my fortunate day. But I've got a ton of work I got to get done and and, thing, I, man. Yeah. And, and and say hey and let let all you guys know. Appreciate all the all the things that you're doing and. I hope hope to see you at the G three conference. I'll throw that in. Too. Okay, I, that's why you really came on here. I was <laughs> <laughs> oh, at the G three conference. All <laughs> 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 right, we'll talk to you later. Right. Thanks for joining us. All right, Mike, you got the you got the floor. Sure. Um, and you're long winded because you know you pastors be preaching like, man, come on, cut me half, cut me half. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening. Sometimes you know we got a lot to say. So that's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just think the masculinity movement is is definitely neo pagan or pagan, where it's um, you either have the Gnostic side that denies the value of the body. So that's through your transgenderism, and you also have a lot of uh, kind of pietistic assumptions about human existence that leads the evangelicals down that pathway more of that form of Gnosticism. And then on the flip side, you have man as machine uh, where <clears throat> through evolutionary psychology and you hear guys cite this, like it's, I, I feel like people don't understand how new ner- neurology is as a study. Um, you know, uh, the explanation for everything's dopamine, 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 <laughs> like everything, dopamine, everything. Um but we don't, we, we still are learning to understand that stuff, but you'll hear people explain everything what it, about what it means to be a man through a sort of evolutionary worldview. Um, and then that really makes, that means if it feels, if it's rewarding, do it right. Is sort of utilitarianism of sorts that mm. breaks down quickly. So that, that's the sort of Tate red pill, Rolla Tomasi. Um, if they've got, some stupid looking Greek statue and sharing truisms on Twitter. That's the sort of masculinity you're seeing pushed out. Um, the thing is they're, they're stealing, like they're just knowing 
noticing God's creational design, right? Like when you actually get immersed in But ain't nothing but the devil. <laughs> well, that right there, boy. Right when he gets to it, and then he just, mm, that ain't nothing but the devil, Mike. Oh, that's that's sad. All right. Down goes Foster. Down goes Foster. Uh, he's he's back. Right. There we go. You, you kind of back, Mike. Okay. All right. We're gonna have to try, do it without Mike. Um, since Mike is gone, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and jump in here with mine. Um. You know, Jason, the last the last few things that, you know, we've been talking for a year. And the first thing that I had to come to terms with was my own Gnosticism and paganism. I, I see it out there in the world and I'm, I'm very, very aware of it because I'm looking at it like that's wrong. And when you start seeing violence, when you see the kids that are disobeying their parents, um, it, you know, I was talking to my kids about this. But when you see kids that disobey parents and they're out there destroying the land, they're they're beating up old folks, you have um, you know, uh, masculinity itself is anything that's anti-feminism, not that it has its own definition. Uh, this is kind of piggybacking off of Foster, but it's anti, it's just anti-feminism and that's enough. Yeah. Um, you, and you don't see any justice. Then you get pollution and pollution. That's numbers. You get pollution in so many different ways in your culture. And one of the main reasons you get pollution is because you're not practicing justice and justice can't always be practiced at, at a level where I don't have authority. So I have to work where the, I have authority, complete authority to enact biblical standards. And if those biblical standards are not being enacted in my own home, in my own life, I don't know how in the world I'm going to have any effect on paganism in the culture. Matter of fact, I can tell you, you won't have any effect on paganism in the culture. Like, because you're not, you're not clean yourself. You got to get clean. And so I'm realizing that the things that I need to be doing are very simple and very basic. And if I can't do those well, I don't know. I was just talking to a guy the other day that is trying to get into the music industry and trying to get to the film industry. And he has a hard time fulfilling and doing his, his own YouTube channel. And I said, man, how are you going to work for somebody else if you don't even have fun and enjoy doing the very thing that you get to create and do on your own channel every day? And if we can't instruct and train and disciple and teach our kids um, and catechize our children in the word of God and saturate them in the scripture so that we can see what it looks like for us to have a garden after 15 years or 10 years, is your wife maturing and growing in the Lord? Is she want to obey and submit to you more? Is she having, is she joyfully um, in love with you and what you're in the message and the mission that you're on? And she supports that and, and she's growing. If you're not seeing those things in your own home and you're not seeing um, faithfulness and covenant faithfulness, create a culture in your own home. I don't know what you're going to do out here except for make more of a mess. And so, you know, the, the, I'm realizing in the last two or three years, the more focused I am on my own home and being a good, godly husband and father, training his children upright, I look at political stuff and I'm like, I know how to fix that. Right? I, I know what the problem is here. And before I wouldn't have had the same sort of response. Like, what's going on here? But this is, this is what happens when you get out of step with God. This is covenant unfaithfulness. That's all it is. Right. 
And when you start worshiping false idols and when you figure you don't honor God and, and you don't fear the Lord and you don't keep the Sabbath and you and you don't honor your own parents. Right. Because you let your own parents jump on welfare and you let your own parents um, uh, get, get into the system and you're not taking care of them, then you are part of the problem. And 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 so when you there's an old song that says sweep around your own front door before you try and sweep around mine. Right. <laughs> like that. That, but that's where we're that's where we're really at, and I know those answers aren't big and sexy, and everybody doesn't want to jump on that. But man, could you imagine if just every individual start taking responsibility for themselves before the Lord? And then when you do that, you see your neighbor out of line, and you're like, "Hey, man, yo, don't you be aching? Don't you be bringing the curses of God up here against us? What are you doing?" And he's like, well, I don't know what to do. Well, then let me, let me, let me teach you. Let me work with you. Let me disciple you into the ways of the Lord. And so I know everybody wants some like big, grandiose, you know, sort of thing to do, the big thing. But this is like Naaman. Just, just go dunk yourself like the prophet told you seven times in the Jordan in the dirty water. That's what you need to go do. Go do the things that you don't want to do that is really simple to do. Wake up. Fear the Lord. Love your wife. Train your children. Do your kids know scripture? Matter of fact, when you think of a, when you run into a problem in your life, when you run into a situation that you're dealing with, is scripture the first thing that comes to your mind or are you trying to figure out another answer from somewhere else? Well, well, that's your problem, right? If you don't have answers from the scripture, then you don't have wisdom. So, okay, Mike's back. He's probably tired of hearing me talk. Mike, you got the last one. Sorry, I was on my cell phone and it, Someone called me and killed me. So uh, back now. But uh, well, I don't know how to top that. You're getting all strong there. It was, uh, it was a beautiful thing. I, I do think it's um, in terms of to, to sum up what I think's happening is that we've lost the breakdown of the family has caused a loss of cultural identity, tradition of your place in the world, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Now people are trying to find that somewhere. That's why, like, uh, that's why people think of um, Comic Con, like the the depth that people go into fandom now, like, is pretty yeah. wild, yeah. right? Like, there's always been something like that, but now, like, people are defined by their TV shows, their movies, their comics, that maybe their their the sort of games they play, or even some of the LARPing that they do. That I don't mean that in a um, sarcastic way but actually going out to do live action role play and all that stuff these people are looking for an identity a tradition and you get that from your mom and dad uh raising you up in the lord and uh if we've lost that we got to rebuild it and it starts with you that's why when we wrote it's good to be a man i'm not trying to sell it it's free on candle unlimited go sell it people need to buy it but what that's why we really started with the individual man like if you can't rule and reign over yourself you're not going to rule and reign over anyone else and it starts with you taking responsibility and the way you can do that is being brought to your knees before a god through his law and wanting to be reconciled to him then you got then you're not you're not a bastard anymore right you're not Mm. you're not fatherless you have god as father and when you have god as father you don't have the same need for the validation of other kind of these online gurus or you know, overreaching pastors or, or even like a woman or whatever you have God's, you know, I was thinking about the, the, the uh, benediction in number six, like God's face shines upon me. He smiles on me. God loves me. 
right? I'm in Christ. I have his approval. I don't need to worry about this stuff. I don't need to, mm. I perform out of gratitude, not out of trying to prove myself. I remember, um, seeing on the wall, the gym I used to work out in that, uh, you, you, it's something that you lift to build strength, not to demonstrate it. Right. So when you're in the gym, you're building strength and really you guys need to be out there building their gaining skills and abilities and character and not out there, uh, kind of showboating online, which is really easy to fake. Um, that you have it figured out, but we need people just doing things in the real world. Someone asked me how to, how to get involved in politically. And I was like, man, don't, don't go big first, get involved in your chamber of commerce or your local swim club or something, get to know people, get to be invested, let people know and care about what you're into. Just take little small steps of, um, of faithfulness and watch how God blesses that. And so the, but the first thing is, Repent, believe the gospel, get your spiritual disciplines. Well, get going to a church. Go to a church. If you have to choose between daily Bible reading and going to a church on Sunday, I'll offend everybody. Go to church on Sunday. Now, that's yeah. a false dichotomy, but public right. worship is so, such, so central to um, who we are. God has made us to have a liturgical existence. So just get back in the church. Start reading the Bible systematically. Pray through the Lord's Prayer, right? adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and then and then start reading some of the great books. Work your way through the confession. Watch how God changes your entire life. I love G.I. Williamson's uh, commentary on the Shorter Catechism. Yes. People do that, but the Shorter Catechism is better because it's like two to three pages on each question. And anyone can do that a day, two to three pages. You can read it as a family. You can learn. And then watch how God stabilizes you. But what I think some of the younger people don't know as annoying as some boomers are, some of them are where they're at because of 40 years of hard work, right? So if, if you want to like get some momentum in life, it takes decades, not just months, not just years. And everything's so half-baked quick these days. People like people think they can, they can, there's, there are no shortcuts, right? Shortcuts lead to detours. And so just doing the actual hard work right now uh, will, will make so so much difference in the long run and all the hot stuff will fade away. You, you know, know, it will. You just, you just triggered me, bro. When you talked about, I got, I haven't said this publicly. I'm ahead and say, and I have a little bit of a moment. Maybe I'm about to be, have a boomer moment because when you said that, all I can think, this is why what you said is so important. If you know your catechism, if you know your confession, this is going to make sense to you. I have absolutely been annoyed at the boomer, uh, anti-boomer culture. That's developed. Oh, boomers, they're so annoying. I don't know. And, and I get it. I get what they're saying. Every generation always has an older generation that kind of gets at them. It's like, what's wrong with you, boy? What you doing? But, and this is why some of this is the breakdown of culture because there used to be a fifth commandment uh, violation that rested in everybody's mind and heart. That when your old folks spoke, you shut your mouth and you listen to them. And there was no distaste for it. Like, oh, you might not like it. You didn't roll your eyes. You sat there and listened to them and you might walk away. But then there was always a part of you that was like, because you were taught that you walked away and said, man, I think he's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think he might be onto something, but now we're so dismissive of our elders that, you know, Hey, uh, and we, we want to discredit them by throwing like tags, like boomers. Like, hold on, man, you respect your elders. There's, you respect the people who came before you, the people who have even lived life more than you have. They've seen some things. Right. Um, they've seen that 40 year cycle go over. So when somebody speaks and said, man, things are you listen to them and I'd be doggone. I wish my kids 
would act like that, boy. It'd be like uh, your friend's mom be like, take your clothes off. You're getting one right now. You know what I mean? It was just, there's a, and this goes even to the problem we were talking about last time with the, the, the wokeness in the movies and the wokeness in the, um, in the culture. And, and we were talking about Ninja Turtles and my problem with Ninja Turtles and the problem with Snow White. It's not the woke stuff that's bothering me. Like, the, oh, and what I mean by woke, something like, oh, this, this person's black or the little memory is black. It's not that. There's something bigger going on, which is they're trying to disconnect you from your parents. The Ninja Turtles, me and my son, if we went to watch the Ninja Turtles and I say, oh, you remember the Ninja Turtle who likes April a lot? He's like, oh, yeah, Leonardo. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's uh, Michelangelo. Michelangelo, yeah. He's the one who really liked her. No, 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 it's Leonardo. And then we said, well, you remember what April looked like, right? Yeah, April, the the, the white girl with the red. No, 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 no. Black girl, heavy set. Like, what? It's not just that they're changing the narratives. They're trying to re- disconnect parents from their kids. Snow White, the whole thing like she's you know the girl out there was it rachel zelliger Zell, zegler yeah, or whatever super, super unpleasant man she's like uh what's that brie larson on steroids i mean it's like yeah, one of the but, most unlikable people in a long time but she's the representative of what the what the what they're trying to do with wokeness is separate covenantal realities between generations i get to pass down to my kids cartoons that help make me with virtue Here's a here's something that helped build virtue in your father. Let me hand this down to you. Let me make sure that you can embrace this too. So you have the same virtues as I have. But when we can't hand down our stories or our mythos to our children because they're all disconnected and don't have the same virtues, then we're not they they win. They they win the baton pass. And now they have the kids and can teach them the virtues they want them to have instead of us being able to pass down the virtues that we develop to them. And so Fifth Commandment violations and the way that we're treating boomers and stuff like that, it's just driving me nuts. And it's like, y'all need to chill out. Shut your mouth. You ain't live long enough to raise a candle to that dude. Respect him. Have your position. Learn how to respect him and really listen to what he's trying to say before you dismiss him as a boomer. You know, and and believe it or not, it will go well with you to glean that from him. And I, I just think there's a lack of respect for our elders that is intentionally there to make sure we don't pass down information. I read an article this, about this. this this morning and put it on my website, uh, actually. Uh, I agree. I think boomer is a mindset more than actually a age. I wouldn't want to. And I know a lot of people, I think Doug's exceptional in this area and some other men I know. I just, I, the flip side I'd say is there's no nothing. The worst type of fool is an old fool. And, sure. Um, sure. and then a generation arose that didn't know the Lord in Judges. And what I would say to this group, let's say, let's say the boomers are as bad as you say they are. What are you doing differently? Being full of bitter bitterness and pointing the finger at them. Is is this the pathway to correcting mistakes? Is this the pathway? Like talking about how blaming them for all your problems. And so they, each person has to at some point take responsibility for their own life. And uh, and what worry, what bothers me about trends I see in both kind of generational groups is an unwillingness to take responsibility for your own, your own sins, your own failure. Um, but also, you know, like people say, okay, boomer to me, <laughs> I just laugh at them, you know, but, but they like, you like, they, you say a whole lot of stuff, you make evidence based arguments 
and point them to scripture and their response is okay boomer (laughs) well and that's part of it too it's hard it's hard to mature as an adult if you can't honor the people who are before you my dad was a horrible man okay but he's a horrible man and not a great father and yet i'm called to honor him and i do and me and my father while we might disagree with things and, and god has washed him of his sins and cleansed him and i'm sure he's asked for forgiveness in a lot of ways I still am required to honor my father and, and I want to make sure that I honor him in such a way that my children see the sins of their grandfather and watch me honor him. And so they, when they see my sins where I'm going to come up short as a father, they have the right type of position in order to bring me back to righteousness in an honorable way. And I don't see the honor bestowed even on the elders that might be a little off. I mean, but, Even, you know, the the elders that are the real boomers that come before, way before us, two generations or a generation before us, they still are saturated in a certain type of Christian culture. Don't get me wrong. I know they, that culture gave us what we got right now, but they're still saturated enough Christian culture that has wisdom to it that we probably need to observe a little bit, you know, Um, because there's, we're in the wild, wild west right now. There's no rules. Nobody's playing my end. It's going to catch up. You know, I, my dad, so my dad wasn't a good man either in a lot of ways. He, he loved me, but I forgave him for all that stuff a long time ago. He feels really bad about where he fail, uh, failed us. And I said, look, dad, it's easy to forgive you um, in part of, because of what Jesus has done, done for me. Another part of it is, is that I know I'm going to fail your grandsons and someday I'll have to ask them for <laughs> forgiveness as well. And, um, in, in that humility, you don't hear like I don't. I I'll make a uh, a principal critique of of generational problems, but I'm not gonna. That's a generational broad critique that I don't think is individualized in every person that was born in those times. Sure, and it's also not from a place of anger or hatred or whatever. Um, and looking at like you know Gen X's own sort of ambivalence. You're like, that's why we're kind of like the unlikely heroic generation. We've just been off to the side doing our own thing and like staying out of it. And then suddenly like, oh, man, it's got so crazy. I guess I should probably get involved in this, you know. So um, (laughs) maybe you have to be quit being ironic. Yeah. Yeah. We were the whatever lazy. We were so man, like we didn't know how rich we were in the 90s. Right. right. Like 90s was crazy. It was the height of like having four or five, like you have to choose. Like, are you going to watch Fresh Prince or are you going to watch this? And if you miss that episode, you don't get to see it again to summer, man, right? You got to wait <laughs> the whole summer, right? If you went, to, you went to the movies and on the trailers, that's the first yeah. time you found that, that movie. I remember going and seeing the trailer for Phantom Menace and my brain like blowing up. Like there's another Star Wars. Like I didn't know that. I did, I, we would go away for the whole day my mom and dad didn't call me because there was no cell phones That's right. and play and have fun. And there was very few wars. There were almost no wars. Like there was the Persian Gulf. That's a joke. Right. And, and so we had everything pretty easy. Started getting weird with Columbine on, um, but yeah. in nine 11, obviously, but that we lived in this really idyllic, nice time. Actually, we we're very blessed. I'm thankful yeah. culture was, um, the culture was kind of monocultural at the time. And that's the start of the breakdown is 
mid to late nineties. Anyway. So I think our generation was privileged in, in that sense, in that meaning of it. And we just kind of like have watched the millennials and boomers tear at each other and just kind of stayed out. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I see it as sort of an apathy in our culture. Um, but now, like, as people that kind of grew up in the middle, we're starting to st- – so my whole point here is not – I don't want to go too long. My, my point is that each generation has its strengths, its weaknesses, its sets of sins, its moments that it gets to stand up to. You know, it, it, sometimes you're, uh, you're, you're going to fight – you're Athanasius and fighting for the person of Christ. Sometimes – your matron fighting against liberalism. Sometimes your Augustine fighting against um, Pelagius, Pelagius or whatever. And we have our fight. So the question is, okay, let's say your father's failed you. How are you in the fight right now? And I yeah. think as you get in the fight, you'll start to become more sympathetic to those that came before you and screwed it up because you'll start finding out, you know what? This is really hard. Mike Tyson said it right. Everyone has a plan to they get punched uh-huh. in their mouth. And everyone knows how to fix culture and do everything and do church right. And, and then they get out there and try to do it. And then it turns out this stuff is hard. This is complicated. Yeah. Jason, last word. Well, maybe just bring it back to paganism one more time. I do think that there is an um, inherent rivalry between uh, generations in paganism and that, um, that's something that as Christians we need to resist uh, whenever we see a rivalry grow up between generations um, we say oh no that's not the way we do things we show honor up we show love down we um, we don't we don't uh, play that game you know we're it's, Sophocles isn't right that either the dad or the son has to die um, for peace to be established right so the um and, and, and this is one of the reasons that I really like, you know, we started talking about Spencer a little bit um, because Edmund Spencer talks about having children is the way that within uh, that, that we get to be a part of God overcoming death generation after generation after generation, death doesn't win because we had kids um, and that we get to be a part of that. Uh, and that seeing that as God's work, you know, the establishing of each generation the uh, the birth of new children the birth of all, all of that is god's work at uh refusing to let death win um and then you know is i think something that needs to really be uh restored within the church that um that kids are a, kids are a blessing and that parents are a blessing and the grandparents are a blessing right that in that that all those rivalries that we just say nope don't play that game um parents are a blessing grandparents are a blessing even a bad dad was god overcoming death in the world and i'm the 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 evidence of it the, um the, here i am look at that death didn't win again take that satan <laughs> um so uh that, mm. that just refusing to play into the rivalry between generations i think is just really at the heart of resisting paganism mm. that's it all right, y'all. Uh, this was a nice try. Next time we do this I'm on the spaces, we're on spaces, we're on Twitter, or it's actually X now, but, and then we're on YouTube. And I'm a, I forgot Rumble, that's on me. But next time I'm going to have the spaces thing fixed so we can hear all the comments and people can <laughs> have spaces and talk there. 
All right. Hey, Mike, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, y'all. All right.